finish up our, our message series that we started called Omnia. Uh, how do we relate to a God who is omniscient, who is omnipresent and omnipotent? And if you recall our first week, we discovered that a, a young woman, a woman of color, a bond woman, a slave woman who was in such despair in the middle of the desert, God reached her there. And it's the first person in scripture to give God a name and he called him El Roi, the God who sees me. When nobody else would see her in her pain and in her suffering, God saw her. And then the second week we said, well, if we have this God who's omniscient and knows everything and he's like even worse than Google, always knowing what's, what's going on in your life, you know, how should I relate with that kind of God? And we discovered that God is for us, not against us. That we, because of our sin, we were enemies with him, but he chose to, to take away all of those things that, that, that separated us and distanced us from his love and his power and his purpose and his plan. And we found out that um, this God is for us. The next week, we discovered that his favor is upon us. And then uh, Brother Jay, our elders, shared the next Sunday about his spirit being in us. And then the last section was about his, his quest, his mission, his plan is before us. And it comes in three different parts. And the first week we saw that the first part of our quest is to love God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our strength, all of our soul. And we discovered that in order to be able to do that, we have, we have to have clean hands and a pure heart and never have bowed down before idols. And we discovered that all of us have done that. And yet that God loved us so much that he wasn't going to allow our sin to be an impediment. Uh, he wasn't going to allow our sin to be a barrier in order for him to have a relationship with us. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that we could be able to love him. Then if you connected last week from your bedroom or your living room or your bathroom, our message was part two of our quest, to love our neighbor as ourself. And we discovered that our neighbor bucket is really, really big. It's a lot bigger than just the people who live next to us or the people that we like, those that we invite over to our barbecue. We discovered that... God says your neighbor is the people that are different from you, the people that are a little difficult, that our neighbors are even those who have offended us, who have hurt us. And God says, do not get revenge, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes our bucket even bigger. And he says, love your enemies. And we discover that we're probably never going to come across anybody who is not our neighbor. And then today we finish up by exploring this last part of our quest, which is found in Matthew 28, where he calls us. Jesus brought his disciples together, and he tells them, first of all, you need to know that every authority and all power on heaven and earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you grew up in an in a evangelical church or in a Protestant church, when you hear this passage, this command from Jesus, you might automatically think, oh, that's the Great Commission. It's kind of a, a label that's put on this mandate. It comes from this passage and four others, this idea that believers like you and me, everybody who is a Christian, have a responsibility to evangelize or to disciple and the Great Commission is a label that's put, been put on that. You know, interestingly enough, 
there are some churches who believe that the Great Commission was only given to the disciples and that this doesn't apply to you and me. There are others who say, oh, it was applied to the apostles and to ordained clergy. So if you're like an ordained real preacher with like papers and theological school and licenses and stuff, then you're supposed to do that. And there are others who say, no, well, the, the, the Great Commission was given to the church as a whole. Everybody's going to do it kind of working together. And then there are those who say, no, that, that Great Commission is for each individual believer. And, and we know that Jesus gave this command to the disciples that were there. There were 11 of them because uh, Judas had uh, hung himself. He gave it to these, but we know that those apostles didn't make it into all the nations. Later on in the book of Acts chapter 8, there was this great persecution that, that, that happened and broke out against the church. And Acts 8.1 says that everybody except for the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then later on in verse 4, it tells us that those who were scattered, not the apostles, those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. So these were ordinary people, not like you and me, not like fancy-dancy apostles or fancy-dancy preachers or pastors or ordained minister or clergy. And they didn't spread this when it says that they went around preaching to these places. I don't want you to think about preaching like we think about it now. Behind a pulpit, they would go to a synagogue. Maybe they would put up a flyer and say, you know, meet me at the Civic Center. We're going to have a great preaching night. It was not that kind of preaching. It wasn't preaching in the technical or formal sense. J.A. Alexander says that it was a joyful and spontaneous diffusion of the truth. I like that phrase, joyful. Kind of like Jerry says up here, excited. Joyful. When you're talking about something that you're excited about, if the Dallas Cowboys ever win the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? It's always next year. There are going to be a few people in here who are going to show up on Sunday, and everybody's going to go, oh, here they come. They're not going to show up and go, hey, guys, did y'all hear the Cowboys won the Super Bowl last week? There's going to be a, some excitement. There's probably going to be a blue and gray and stars and all this, a lot of hooping and a lot of hollering. When you share good news, you're excited about it. It's joyful. And these people had this spontaneous, joyful diffusion of the truth. You've already heard sermons and preachings today. One of them was about eggs. Dina shared with her, with us about the truth that God revealed to her. Have you ever had a, a story that you just couldn't wait to tell? Or, or, or maybe your, your spouse or a friend or a family member, they have this story that they're, they're always sharing. You know, if you're married and you're a couple, and someone says something, you go, okay, here comes that story. I bet you he's going to tell that story. And there he goes. Yep, here he goes. Or maybe your parents always telling that same embarrassing story about you when you were little, and you know exactly when it's going to come up. When they're talking to somebody, you go, oh, I bet you they're going to talk about when that thing happened with my underwear, and they do it, right? That, that's kind of this idea, not the underwear part, but the, the spontaneous sharing. That's the idea behind this joyful, spontaneous diffusion of the truth. The church as we knew it didn't exist today. There weren't any tracts or pamphlets to share. There wasn't any... Right now, media, organized outreach, no evangelism campaigns. There weren't any discipleship materials or studies or classes. Just ordinary people, like you and me. 
joyfully sharing the truth of what Jesus Christ had done in their lives. You know, later on in chapter 11 of Acts, it tells us that again, the disciples stayed, but others people were sent out, some to, to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, but they only shared the good news with the Jewish people. And then there were others who came from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they decided, you know what? This news is too exciting. We can't just keep it with a certain group of people. They decided to share it with the Greeks also. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wasn't the command to go make disciples of all nations? And here we got some people that are just going to the Jews, others that are just going to the Greeks. But in a sense, it was in line with the command because we see the word go there, and, and people that are smarter than me uh, tell me that that word means is translated incorrectly. It really means as you go. He's not saying go and do this. He's saying as you are going, you are doing this. As you are going, you're sharing the good news. As you are going, you're making disciples. As you go, as you go where? Answer is easy, wherever God leads you. Some of these people, God was leading them to Antioch, others to Phoenicia, others to Cyprus. Wherever you go, wherever you go, you do this. My question is, where is God taking you? The wonderful thing is that one pastor, two pastors, 110 churches, pastors, leaders, evangelists, deacons, elders, we can't be everywhere. We cannot be where you are, but you can be where you are. And God says, as you go, as you go to the garage, as you go to the classroom, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to your home office, wherever it is that God takes you, he's taking you to a sporting event, he's taking you to a barbecue, wherever it is that you go, you have the wonderful gift and opportunity to share the news that our great God, this omnipotent God, this God is for us, this God is seeking us, this God loves us and desires us, and he wants to reconcile us with him. You see, the Great Commission then wasn't just given to the apostles. There are many unnamed, unknown believers in Christ who shared the truth. Other people heard it, and they turned to the Lord. You've got to remember, Peter says that you, you may not feel like it, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for his own possession, and why would God call us and give us such fancy titles? and such great opportunities to be a holy nation. He says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. All you have to do to be able to share what God has done, all you have to do is be one of those people who once was in the dark, and now you're in the light. That's all you need. This morning in our new members class, you know, we always go share, how did you make it to Alliance? How did you hear about us? And Somebody was sharing, and they talked about how it was a hesitancy, right, to, to come to church. And then once to come to church, a hesitancy to, to join. But then he realized that, you know, all of these problems and afflictions that he had, he said, some of them I caused them myself. But when I distanced myself from them, from those situations and from those circumstances, he said, I see God at, at work in my life. That, that was a sermon there. That was a, somebody saying, sharing about the excellencies of God. How exciting is him? You know, if, if you're sick, 
There's nothing more painful than your best friend getting a, a girlfriend, right? Because that's all he's ever going to talk about. Right? You know, or if you're a girl, that's all she's ever going to talk about. Oh, he did this. and he, Look how he texted me. Isn't he so cute? You're like, oh, I'm up to here. When are you going to stop? You know? But that's what happens when somebody is, is in love, when they're ecstatic and when they're excited about someone. I can't imagine what our communities would be like if that's the kind of excitement I had about how excellent our God is. And imagine how, how your home, how your workplace, how our neighborhoods and our communities might be if we were excited about the excellencies of our God. Kenneth Latourette, do you know him? I don't either. He's a famous Yale historian. As he studied the church, he said, the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity... The reason Christianity exploded all over the earth was not because of people who made it a profession, not because of full-time pastors or clergy or deacons or people who even that was a major part of their occupation. The reason the church expanded was because of men and women who earned, not by men and women who earned their livelihood from the church, but from something purely secular and spoke of their faith to those whom they met in this natural fashion. It was ordinary people doing ordinary things, and in the midst of the ordinary, they were sharing about their extraordinary God. You know, with all the power we have today, we've got radio stations, TV channels, all these different manners to, to convey messages, online streaming service, internet ministries, social ministries, uh, uh, social media. We've got texting, email, internet, podcasting, audio, graphics, all of these great tools, but they're only messages, methods. I still believe that the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity are ordinary men and women like those here at Alliance Church who are sharing the power of what God has done in their lives. We've all been given this ministry. It's got an odd name, a word that we don't often use today. So I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5.14. Some of you go, oh no, he's, that was an introduction. He's just barely starting. It's really the, the conclusion of our message. 2 Corinthians 5.14. If you start in verse 18, it tells us that God reconciled us to himself through Christ and he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. So I want us to finish our time together this morning thinking about this ministry that you have. Some people think, oh, they've got a ministry with the homeless or they've got, they're part of the worship ministry or they're part of media ministry. And we, we think about it that way, but every single believer, if you have trusted in Christ, God has given you a ministry, and it's called the, the ministry of reconciliation. The same way that God reconciled us with him, he is calling us to tell others that they can be reconciled. And this reconciliation is powered by Christ's love. Let's back up to verse 14. It says, Christ's love compels us. Some translations say, Christ's love constrains us. There was something that was causing, uh, there was something that causes believers to have to share about the excellencies of their God, to share about what God is doing, how he is at work, and how he wants to reconcile people and make things right with them. And Paul says, it's Christ's love that compels us. And, and it's an interesting word because it's a word that can be used, that, that word compel is the same word that they use when, when people did this. They pushed their hands against their ears they were compelling. 
their ears or their heads. But the, the, the one uh, use of the word that I think is, uh, is a, a much better visual aid, and it kind of clicks with those of us here in, in West Texas, has to do with cows. And it was when they would move these cows into a position, into a position where the cows, you know, if you've ever seen them out there, they're kind of wide, and the cows can move around. And as they move forward, it gets closer and closer and closer and closer together till they're kind of stuck in there. And they would move them in there either to dehorn them or to medicate them or to do something to them. That, that was a word that was used, that, that compel, that, 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 that I can't resist it. It, it. It's pushing in on all sides of me so powerfully that I have to go where it is moving me. And the writer says, if there's something that is going to move you and me to help people get reconnected with God, to be reconciled with God, the only thing that can do it is the power of Christ in us. And it's going to push on us on so many sides that that is the only possible result that can come up. It gives this idea that we can't help ourselves. We have to do it. That doesn't happen. That kind of, of witness, that kind of ministry to the community doesn't happen because you heard a great sermon or a really bad one. It doesn't happen out of religious obligation or because you have this legalistic pressure to go evangelize. It happens when we experience, we understand, and we're overwhelmed by Christ's love. It happens when we love our neighbors as ourselves. This love for Christ compels us and it forces us to share what we've been convinced of. And it, that convincing is in 15. What have you been convinced of? We've been convinced that he died, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. You know, when you're in love, you do sometimes crazy things, right? If you're a guy, you act the fool when you're in love, right? I always love sharing the story about, I was at, I was in my uh, at the law school, and I go into my little office that we had, and there's this big, giant glass jar full of Whoppers. And on there it says, Happy 1,000-day anniversary. I was like, I can barely remember how many years. I'm supposed to keep track of the days? And I was like, well, this woman, she must really love me. She not only remembers we've been married 1,000 days, but she buys me 1,000 Whoppers to celebrate 1,000 days? Love moves us beyond ourselves, beyond the safe, beyond the normal. Even this morning, I was reading Oswald Chambers' devotional, and he says, have you ever been driven to do something for God, not because you felt that it was useful or your duty to do so, or that there was anything in it for you, but simply because you love him? Isn't it great whenever somebody calls you or they visit you or they bring you a gift, and it's not your anniversary, it's not your birthday, it's not because they messed up and offended you. They do it just because. They do it just because. When we experience Christ's love in us, it's going to compel us, constrain us to, to do extravagant things. Sometimes it's going to be so extravagant that it even changes how we see others. Look at verse 16. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Reconciliation changes how we see others. We don't look at others according to worldly standards and values. We don't see people the way the world sees them. We don't label them the way others label them. We don't devalue them the way others devalue them. 
Christ's love in us determines how we see others, and we've got to use the glasses of Christ's love. Some people use other glasses. Some people use pragmatic, selfish glasses, right? They see others and say, okay, what can she do for me? What can she do for me? What can I get out of them? Unfortunately, too many people in our day are using political glasses to look at the world. Just look around at your social media. Look at what people post and get angry about. What do they get excited about? They get excited about fighting, about owning the libs or dissing the, the conservatives. They get angry and excited about the news, the elections, vaccines, conspiracies, even our neighbors. If we use political glasses, selfish glasses, any other kind of glasses, except for the love of Christ, then it's going to damage the ministry that you and I have, this ministry of reconciliation. When we put on Christ's glasses, when we see an immigrant, we don't look at them through a Republican lens. We see them through the image of God in them. When we put on the love of Christ, when we consider an unborn child, we don't look at them through the democratic platform and see cells. We know that that child is fearfully and wonderfully made. Because as believers, when we put on the lenses of Jesus Christ, we belong to no, no party. We belong to no politician. There is no king but King Jesus. Who is God calling you to tell the wonderful news that they can be reconciled with God? But they're so mean. So are you and me. But they don't deserve it. Neither do you. Neither did I. But use whatever excuse you want. Why someone doesn't deserve your time or your attention for reconciliation. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ on the cross overcome, overcame every single objection. And it is God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. How does that happen? Verse 17. Reconciliation happens when we're made new. Therefore, if anyone is new is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Listen, God's not calling you and me to become better people because we can't. He's not asking you to change religions or change churches. He is not saying, be better. What he is saying is be made new. Be made new. It's great when somebody fixes our old car and it runs again. It's great when somebody repairs our TV and we can Netflix again. But isn't it just a little bit more exciting when you get a brand new TV? Or you get a new car? It's not, the Christian life is not a life that is patched up by rules and regulations. It is a brand new life. It is a new way of seeing the world. It is a new heart. So I see God differently. I see my neighbor differently. I have new desires, new passions, new intentions. He's telling us to be new. My question to you is, have you been made new? Are you new? If I was a rapper, I could make that kind of work somehow or another, but that's the best I can do. Are you new? Have you been made new? Or have you just kind of tried to patch up your life by good deeds? I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to party anymore. Maybe I'm going to start going to this church. Maybe I'm going to start reading the Bible. Maybe I'm going to do these things. And I want you to know that all those are, are great things to do. And 
and you need to do them, but that's not going to bring the giant, transformative, supernatural, miraculous change of reconciliation in our lives. It only happens when Jesus Christ makes you new. And when he does this, how does it work? Verse 18, all this is from God, who first reconciled us to him and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, I like to eat. You don't have to say amen. And I, and I like to be invited to go eat. But I'm going to confess that one of the most frustrating things in life is like somebody invites you to go eat, and they say, yeah, come by at 5. And you show up at 5, and they're opening up the charcoal. <laughs> and they're pulling out the meat from the freezer. And you go, oh. Man, it is going to be a while before we get to eat those weenies. But then there's those other invitations, right? You, they say, hey, can you come over? Yeah, what time? Come over. Why? Well, what can I bring? Nothing. You show up right on time, and, and the table is set. And the meat's already out. You show up, and you say, how can I help? And they say, nothing. It's already. All you need to do is sit down and eat. That's the kind of invitation I like. One where everything is ready to go. And I want you to know, everything is ready to go for your life, for your new life. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to him. You can't add anything to it. Not good works, not acts of penance, no religious activity. Christ took care of it all on the cross. He was the perfect and sufficient sacrifice. He, sacri he, he, he fulfilled all all of the wrath against our sin, Jesus made it possible for us to be realigned with God. We've been using this word reconciliation. And it was used two different ways. In the business world, it was used um, when money changers exchanged equivalent values. If you've ever been to another country, uh, if you've ever been to Mexico or, or to Europe and you show up and you need to exchange funds, right? How much is a dollar worth? Well, so many euros or so many pesos. And you go to the money changing place or the Casa de Cambio, and it says on there, if you give us $1, this is how many euros we'll give you, and this is how many pesos we'll give you. It's, a, it's an exchange. It's an, an alignment of values of how many pesos for how many dollars. And so when we think about what does reconciliation do, it, it's an alignment. It's an adjustment of a difference. Oh, and I love this definition. It's a restoration of favor. That, that favor that when, when God looks upon us and when God looks upon you, you're not the, the bad kid of the family. You're not the one that they hope moves out of the house first. Right? You're favored. That God's favor and his love and, is upon you. And that was broken because we were enemies with God, but, but God reconciled us to that. Last week, the freezing temperatures caused all this trouble here in Texas. And, and we continue to pray for everybody who's been affected by that. In, in Leander, people were shopping at an HEB when all of a sudden the power goes out. There's lines of people waiting to check out. There's no cash registers. There's no swiping, card swiping machines. They can't process payments, so what do they do? The manager tells the people to take their groceries home and that they don't have to pay. Are those people going to be charged with theft? 
because they walked out of H-E-B with a bunch of groceries that they didn't pay for. No. Why? Because the manager didn't count the cost of the groceries against them. And this passage tells us that God does not count our sin against us. The scars of sin are still there. The consequences of sin, you're still going to see them in our lives. Sometimes there are pains, sometimes broken relationships, sometimes financial situations. Those things may still be there, but it isn't counted against you. All the things that the cost of sin could do before, separate us from God, make us an enemy of God, keep us from abundant life, causing us eternal separation from God in hell, all of those, that cost of sin, it cannot do that for you anymore if you are in Christ Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. The gap's been filled. The bridge between you and God has been built. This big chasm has been removed. Now you and God can connect. Now you and God can relate. Now we and God can be loved and love him. We can be reconciled. We can be made new. Have you, have you experienced this? If you haven't been made new, I want to encourage you today that the that the most important message that I could share with you this morning is that you can be reconciled with God. And that's the message he has given us. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And in verse 20, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I could preach to you about getting involved in the community, about serving the poor, uh, about being a missionary somewhere else. But the most important message that Alliance Church has, and one that you and I have, is to, that we should be reconciled with God. When I was a young kid, someone said that when a pastor says, I'll conclude with this, it's to wake everybody up. And there's some people when they preach, they say, I'll conclude with this like three times, right? It's the last time I'll say, I'll conclude with this. Uh, when I was a kid, in our church, I was part of a ministry group called We Are uh, Royal Ambassadors. And there used to be a big sign over there that said RA's Royal Ambassadors. And uh, it was, a, it was a, like a Bible student group for, for young boys that emphasized discipleship and missions. And that verse right there, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we all had to memorize it. We are ambassadors for Christ. And they would always, remember, they would always remind us, what is an ambassador? It's somebody who represents their king in the court of another king. Somebody who represents their governing authority in the governing authority of another place. So in the United States, you will find ambassadors from Mexico. And they represent the power and the authority and the message and the agenda of Mexico here. You'll find ambassadors from the United States in Germany. When they're in Germany, those ambassadors from the U.S. are representing the power and the authority and the agenda of them over there. And this passage says that you and I are ambassadors for Christ. That means that while we are on this earth, wherever we go, whether it's into a sports stadium or into our homes or into a church, wherever we go, we represent the agenda, the authority, and the power of our King, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't send us in to say, you're bad, 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 and you're bad. Oh, and you're going to hell. So are you, and you are too. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. What did he come to do? He came to save us. And Jesus said, wherever you go, you need to take this message with you. Be reconciled with God. And here's the thing. 
that when we reconcile with God, a God who is omnipresent everywhere, that means he's in our valley of the shadow of death, who is omnipotent, who has the power to do the things that we cannot do, who is omniscient, who knows everything, even the deepest, darkest secrets of our hearts, and yet he still loves us. When we, that God sends us out, he says, I want you to go out and you have one message. Tell people that they can be right with me. I want to employ you. Do not leave this place without being reconciled with God. Will you pray with me? Are you experiencing newness of life? Have you been made new? Do you experience the love of Christ? Does it compel you? Does it move you? Do you believe that God sees you? That he is for you? That his favor is on you? That his spirit is in you? If you don't, today is a day to be reconciled, realigned with God. How does that happen? God already took care of it. It's already done. It's paid for. All you have to do is to accept it, receive it, believe it. And when you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried and rose on the third day so that your sin and my sin could be wiped away, the only option that we have is either to believe it and make Jesus Christ our Lord or reject it and God continues to be our enemy. This morning, if you and I will confess, we'll confess our sins, not to me, not to a priest, not to an elder, not to a deacon, not to the church. Confess them to God right there. You, you know what's bugging you. You know what's made you feel bad. You know those things that, that cause us shame. We know those things that we have done, those things we've said. They've hurt the people around us, most often those that we love the most. If you're seeing that right now in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, would you just turn it over to God? I want you to know that God did not bring you here this morning to throw your sin and your failures in your face. Does he reveal them to us? Absolutely. Does he show us how, how ugly and how despicable our sin and our rebellion is? You bet he does. But he doesn't show us that to throw it in our face. He reveals our sin to us so he can show us what he wants to heal, what he wants to forgive, and what he wants to make new. Right there where you are, would you just pray to this great God who sees you, who knows you, who has the power to make you new. Call upon him, and he will answer you. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you shall be saved. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, and you will be made new. Father, only you can see the hearts that are being made new at this moment, right now in this place, and we thank you for them. Father, for those who have already been made new, we pray, Father, that the love of Christ would compel us, that wherever we would go, we would take the good news. You can be made right with God, because this God loves you. He is for you. His favor is upon you, and he has done everything necessary so that you can be reconciled with him. May we take that message to our neighbor and to the ends of the earth. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Pastor Jesse asked, he said, who is God calling you to go tell the love of God to? He said, everything's ready to go. And he said that everything would be made new. Well, I conclude with my testimony that God made a new day. And like I said, Sunday came, Monday came, Tuesday came, Wednesday came, no power, no water for Aaron, no food, but God showed up on Thursday in a great and mighty way. You see, that's what God is calling us to go. There's someone out there that God has already prepared their heart and he's already placed that person in your heart. Who are you supposed to go to? Well, there were several people that God had placed in position to answer the call for Aaron that day. And it started with his pipes busting. Water was everywhere, flooded the kitchen, going into the garage. He was upstairs and he came downstairs and saw that. The doorbell rings. And someone who Michael contacted at Austin Church there in um, Austin Stone Church, he was just a couple of blocks away and he shows up with two gallons of water and he hands it to Aaron and he says, is there anything else? And he says, well, my pipes just busted. He said, hold on, went to his truck. Guess what he has? The tool to turn off the water. And he said, I have a wet and dry back. Aaron at that time had an hour left of electricity. They started vacuuming or you know, getting the water out. And then his neighbor came over because the water was shut off. He is in a duplex, so his water was shut off. He said, what's going on? And he says, have you eaten? And Aaron said, no, not since Sunday. And he has this cold macaroni and cheese. But Aaron said, mom, dad, that was the best cold macaroni and cheese I've ever eaten. You know, when you don't have anything and God gives you something, he appreciated it in a way that was different from any other meal. He then said to him, he said, I have a plumber. I'm going to call him up. And it just kept happening. Then his landlord calls and says, Aaron, just checking on you. How are things going? And he says, well, the pipe's busted. And she says, I'm sending my plumber. The plumber lives two blocks away. And it just kept happening. God just kept showing up. In the evening, his neighbor shows up because his neighbor's a cook down at this little kind of a gas station slash eating place. You know how they have them small, tucked away in the stores? And he shows up with a warm dinner. And isn't that like God to send us out to meet people's need? And on that day, God just didn't send one person. He sent one after another after another. That's you and me. God has placed somebody on your heart. And we need to respond because that's the action. We can know. We can get told. We can hear the, the sermon. But now it's time to go and carry it out and be active in our faith. God bless you, church. God bless you, church, if you'll stand and 
think as we um, get ready, if we prepare to, to exit the building, I think we're uh, protocol is that we'll do it by section looping. So this section will go first, and then this one. And if you'll just wait there, and, and uh, you will you will be led. God bless you. And I know this is the third or fourth time that we welcome all of you, but we're glad to see you, Sandra. I know you're hiding back there behind that mask, but will you hold your hand up back there? We've been praying for Sandra. It's her first time back in a in a couple of months, and we're glad that God has done that work and that healing in you. Is Michael here? I have no other. Uh, Emmanuel, Emmanuel and Mike, without them, I, I, I'm lost here. So we're good. All right. You check the website, check the app uh, for any information. Uh, midweek, midweek services are back on. Uh, men are meeting, women are meeting. Uh, we start about 645, praise and worship, and then we go uh, straight into our meetings. And are you still having uh, the 101? Yes, on, on Wednesday. So God bless you, church. Ordinary people. We're not so ordinary, are we? We're redeemed, we're reconciled, we're made brand new. Telling about an extraordinary God, absolutely, who does these amazing, wonderful things as we trust Him, as we as we pray to Him. You know what? And, and He tells us, man, you, there's nothing to fear because I, I am with you. I'll, Isaiah says, I'll be your strength. I'll be your victory. I'll be your salvation. I'll be all those things that, that come into our lives and bring fear into our lives. We have an amazing God, right, that we serve. God bless you again. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you for this morning. <laughs> because you spoke. God, give us ears to hear, dear God. Father, that we would respond, dear God, out of a love a pure, dear God, love for you, dear God, because you have demonstrated your love to us, dear God, through your son, Jesus, Father. And dear God, and you changed us and made us new, new people, dear God, and you've given us, dear God, something to share with others, Father. Dear God, that we would do it out of the pureness of our love for you, God. Thank you so much. Thank you this morning, dear God. We pray that every person in this building, dear God, that you would bless and, dear God, and that they would have heard your voice this morning. Thank you for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you on Wednesday. God bless you.